gold standard. Welcome to the Dr. Hedberg Show for cutting-edge practical health information. For the latest articles, videos, and podcasts, visit drhedberg.com. That's D-R-H-E-D-B-E-R-G.com. The information in this show is intended for educational purposes only. Always consult your healthcare professional before attempting anything recommended in this program. And now, here's Dr. Hedberg. Well, welcome everyone to Functional Medicine Research. I'm Dr. Hedberg. Really excited today to have my good friend and colleague, Tracy Long, on the show. Tracy is a registered dietitian with specialty certification training in integrative and functional medical nutrition therapy and the Bredesen Protocol to end Alzheimer's. She owns a private practice, Big Picture Health, in Hendersonville, North Carolina, where she sees clients via video consultations. She specializes in working with clients with neurodegenerative conditions, biotoxin illnesses, gastrointestinal conditions, and nutrigenomics. She is a published author and teaches health coaches for Chris Cresser's Health Coach Training Program. Tracy's education includes a Master of Public Health, an emphasis on nutrition and exercise physiology from the Colorado School of Public Health, where she studied under Dr. Lauren Cordain, who many of you may know as the author of The Paleo Diet. And she's also a registered yoga teacher and certified exercise physiologist. Her personal interests include hiking with her husband and dog, urban farming, teaching yoga, foraging for mushrooms in the mountains of Western North Carolina, growing medicinal herbs and produce, paddleboarding, and visiting her three grown daughters in Colorado. Tracy, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Nick. I'm so happy to be here with you today. Really appreciate the opportunity. Yes. Yeah, it's going to be fun. So why don't we begin by talking about your personal journey with mold? And that's going to be the topic of today, mold and biotoxin illness. So why don't you uh, share your, your personal journey? You bet. I'd love to. And really, my, my personal journey, Nick, um, really started with a professional journey in that I became very interested in neurodegenerative conditions, and I completed Dr. Bredesen's training, as you mentioned, um, the Bredesen Protocol to End Alzheimer's. And Dr. Bredesen has subcategorized underlying causes of Alzheimer's, and one of those underlying causes he refers to as type 3 Alzheimer's that's really related to toxins. And he's identified three categories of primary toxins. The first one is heavy metals. The second one is biotoxins. And in that category, biotoxins, um, certainly mold is included and also tick-borne illnesses. And now even recently we've added COVID-19, especially from the standpoint of, you know, people who have had COVID-19 and they haven't recovered. We, you know, we're referring to them as long haulers. And I bring that up. I'll tie that all in, in just a minute. Um, the, the third type of toxin Dr. Bredesen addresses um, are organic compounds. So there are things like herbicides and pesticides, um, things that we're, can, can be highly exposed to in the environment. Um, it was interesting in that journey that I had that training and I started working with clients 
with all the subtypes of Alzheimer's, um, little did I know that I would end up having my own personal experience. So I was assisting clients who had been exposed to mold, certainly. Um, and then we ended up moving to North Carolina. It's in the South. It's very moist here. As, as you know, I know you live here too. So, mm -hmm. you know, we've had a year of record rainfall here. So I moved from Colorado, which was very hot and dry to the Southeast, which is living like in the tropics, really. Um, we're living in a rental house. And when we found the house, we were really excited because for a rental, it looks really, it looked really great on the surface. Um, we just thought, wow, we found such a treasure in this house. And I was able to set up my office in the basement, which happens to have, um, it's, it's kind of a partial basement. So it's got some really nice natural light and big windows. And I thought, oh, even for a basement office, this is just great. And got set up and, and started working. And after living in this house for about five months, um, I just gradually started to get sicker and sicker. And it's interesting that even though I was assisting clients who had biotoxin illness and, and, and especially mold illness, certainly some people with tick-borne illness as well, it's almost like I, I couldn't see it in myself. And that rings true with people with biotoxin illness. The impact that it has on us neurologically can really impair our ability to think and and process information. And so I certainly was becoming more cognitively impaired myself. Um, I ended up gaining about 20 pounds almost overnight, um, which really bothered me as a dietitian because I practice what I preach. I eat a whole foods paleo based diet and, you know, a big exercise fiend and I hadn't changed anything. So I'm just like, where the heck did this 20 pounds come from? And then as I continued to get more sick, um, I suddenly was like not sleeping, like, and I mean, literally not sleeping. Um, the insomnia was horrible, um, then exacerbated by hot flashes. Um, and so I just continued down this decline. I had to cut my work back by at least half. I really was becoming dysfunctional. And then this profound fatigue set in where I almost... Um, I would be sitting at my desk working and I would get hit with this fatigue where I almost just had to like lie down in the floor. I didn't have enough strength left in me to walk up the stairs and, you know, lie on the couch or even get in my bed. And I would curl up on the floor in my office and just fall asleep for two hours, you know, and it was really at about that point that I just thought, my gosh, what is wrong with me? And so I ran the, the tests um, on myself and discovered that I had really high mold, mold levels. Um, and we started it, we had our home inspected. Um, our landlord happened to be very much on board with that and very, very supportive. And we found some pretty significant high levels of very toxic mold growing in this house kind of underneath the surface. So I ended up leaving the home for about three weeks. My husband, who was not feeling, you know, the drastic health issues. And, and I would love to talk about that too, Nick, in that you can have people in the same household who, you know, one person can be very sick or a few family members very sick and then other people not sick at all. And we have theories around why that's happening. But luckily, my husband maybe was experiencing some hormonal dysregulation and, and some issues, but I was able to go back to Colorado and stay at a friend's house for three weeks. And our landlord's very fortunate because my husband's very handy and he was able to do 
a bulk of the remediation um, to making the house at least safe for me. Um, I didn't mention too that I'd also kind of spontaneously developed asthma, which I never had in my life. So mm. it was interesting, you know, just getting out of the house and, you know, being in that safer place in Colorado, my asthma just went away immediately. And I'd had to go, I went to see a doctor and I was using an inhaler here in North Carolina. And so I, I instantly started feeling better when I got out of this environment. Um, but I ended up coming back and I was able to help my husband with some of the remediation. It really took us about three months total. And it's been a journey. I mean, this has been um, really going on about a year and a half. And I would say that I'm about 80% improved, but I, I still have a little ways to go. So mold really did a number on me. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, that's that's yeah. an overview for you. I'd like to take a quick moment to make you aware of some important resources that are available to you. The first is to make you aware that I not only see patients in my practice in Asheville, North Carolina, but I also have a virtual practice where I consult with patients worldwide through telehealth. So it doesn't matter where you live in the world, we could consult through our telehealth software. The second resource is the resources page on my website, where I list all of the supplements and products I use both personally and in my practice. This can be found at drhedberg.com forward slash resources. And the third resource is for healthcare practitioners who want to learn functional medicine or improve their functional medicine skills. I offer online functional medicine courses at the Hedberg Institute, which is my online functional medicine education platform. You can see all the courses I offer at hedberginstitute.com and sign up to watch a sample course video at no charge. That's hedberginstitute.com. And now back to the show. The immune system remembers. That's one of the difficult parts about it. And you mentioned testing. So what, what does that look like for people if they suspect that they have a mold issue? Uh, why don't we just, why don't we start with home testing? Are those, are there regional uh, labs that will do this? Or is there, you know, a standard test people can get? You know, that it's, it's a tricky area to work in because it's relatively new. And, you know, I, I don't mind sharing with you that, um, I've done a deep dive. I, I love learning. And then when something like this happens, I think, you know, I want to advocate for myself and my clients. So I've recently attended three, three big deal mold conferences. I mean, it was really bringing the best in the world to these conferences and they were presenting on this very issue. And I mean, I, I do want to come back to something you said, you know, how does someone, if they suspect they have mold, how do they start testing? And I want to answer that question, but I would like to circle back around to how does someone know, or how would they suspect they might have a mold issue? So I'd, I'd like to come mm -hmm. back and speak to that in a minute. Um, right now, we, it, we could really look at this two different ways. You could start by testing your home, or if you suspect that you have mold illness, you could test yourself. And our best tests right now are urine mycotoxin tests. So think about it this way. Mold is an organism. I think we're all familiar with it. We can picture mold growing on yogurt or bread and it's white or green or blue and it's fuzzy. Um, so when mold grows, it needs substrate 
like in the case of bread, um, that, that works. And then it also needs moisture. So if you have those two things combined, you can grow mold, but mold makes spores. Spores are very tiny and they can float around in the environment. I mean, just walking through a room or having your HVAC system running and circulating air, these spores will filter all throughout, you know, the area. And then they can land on surfaces. And if those surfaces have dirt or substrate like wood, and then also moisture. So in the Southeast, we have high humidity. So moisture is, it's pretty easy to find. Um, and then we certainly could have issues with a home, like having, you know, water damage, leaky pipes, um, maybe a basement that's not sealed well, maybe the foundation doesn't have good runoff and the water seeps in and, and gets the walls just damp and wet and they're behind drywall. And so there can be hidden sources of this, you know, moisture and substrate growing, but these spores are so small that they can move through drywall and they can filter around the air and they can grow mold in other places. Another aspect of mold that a lot of people don't realize is that molds produce volatile organic compounds and they're just, just teeny tiny particles and they can readily move through drywall. And I mean, even they can move around easier than spores can. And these mycotoxins as volatile organic compounds have the propensity to make some people very sick. If they're associated with certain types of molds, like black molds, really anyone can get sick. But we've been able to identify that there's this subset in the population, and we're estimating that it's about 25% of the human race has you know, a genetic insufficiency in the ability of their immune system to identify that there's been this mycotoxin exposure and then be able to get rid of it. I mean, the other 75% of the population can have a mold exposure. And again, anyone can get sick, especially if it's the real toxic black molds. But that 75% of the population could maybe, you know, get a headache or have a little fatigue and, and just not feel well. And then they could go outside, get some fresh air, and they feel better. Um, that 25% is a very troublesome portion of our population um, because if you're in that 25%, it's almost like you're a canary in the coal mine, that if you have an exposure to mold and mycotoxins and they enter your body via breathing or through food, through ingestion, they can even move in your body through your skin, then they accumulate there. And oftentimes your body just can't detoxify and get rid of them. And, and I, I really love that you're so knowledgeable about the immune system because we are seeing this activation of, you know, the deep um, amygdala in the brain, the reptilian portion of the brain, recognizing that there's a toxin in the body that the body can't get rid of. And we're seeing this production of a cytokine storm, very, very similar to what is happening with long haulers with COVID-19 mm -hmm. and also people who have chronic tick-borne illness, you know, we'll see this chronic cytokine storm activation, and that 25% are people who can be just really dysfunctional. I mean, they're people that can end up on disability or, you know, in sharing my story, you know, someone who very vibrant, full of life, very optimistic, and I'm just having to lie on the floor in my office, you know, it's yeah. like, it was, it was nuts mm. what was happening to me. So, you know, we have to think about, um, you know, if you suspect something's going on in your house, 
you know, you would maybe actually see water damage. You might see mold growing, or you might even notice um, kind of a mildewy type smell or an odor. Um, oftentimes that's really common in basements and people think, oh, that's normal. That's a basement. Um, I've even had clients that have had actual natural springs running through their crawl space, which is very problematic. Mm. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. so you have to think about, is there a possibility that there's a moisture issue in my house? And arguably, um, almost every house could potentially have a moisture issue. Um, less so, you know, in the drier, more arid regions of the U.S., um, you know, like where I was from in Colorado, you can still have water damage, um, but you can have moisture issues just if you have an air conditioning system. And we're really finding this issue called sick building syndrome, where homes have been built so energy efficient and so tight. And then if you have an air conditioning system and if it's undersized or oversized or um, if there's dirt in your HVAC system and then there's moisture accumulating, um, we see that as a big source. So there are all these ideas you have to start thinking about. And then you, you start saying, well, am I testing because the individual person is not feeling well and they've got a chronic illness, they've got a myriad of mystery symptoms and we don't know what's going on or or, you know, is that in combination with, it looks like the house has been exposed to water. So we can look at two different scenarios there. And I'm going to say from what I've learned recently, the best and easiest and most economical way to test your home is by what's called gravity plate testing. So these are sterile Petri dishes that have a substrate in them that is favorable to growing fungus, not bacteria. So we can kind of encourage the growth of mold and, and different types of fungus, like even candida can grow on the substrate and it's pretty inexpensive. Um, I've been working a lot with a company and do you mind if I mention specific companies, Nick? Oh, definitely mention them. Okay, great. Um, and this is also coming from the conferences. These are from the, the world experts in mold are also recommending this, that you start by reaching out to a company called Immunolytics. Mm -hmm. And they offer these sterile gravity plates and they charge $33 per plate. So you, you go online and you choose the number of plates and you might decide like where we live in the South, Nick, um, I have a lot of clients test their car because think of how often, you know, we're running around and we get drenched and soaked and jump in our car and we're wet and we get home and close up our car and go inside. And so interesting. And I even had a client once, this is so interesting that she had bought a used car and she didn't know that it had a HEPA filter that needed, it was supposed to be replaced every time she had an oil change. And she didn't know it was there. And she'd had the mm -hmm. car for about eight years. She had mold illness, was very sick. And, you know, there was some minor things going on in her home that she remediated and had fixed. And then when we got to, she, her husband had to do some work on the dashboard of her car and he had the dashboard pulled apart and he found this filter and it, to access it, you had to pull the glove box out and then get in and remove this air filter. It wasn't an easy thing to find and replace, but he pulled that out and it was covered in black mold in her car. Mm. 
Mm. So, so with this company, Immunolytics, you know, you really have to kind of think about, well, do I want to test if you have a basement? Definitely, especially if it smells mildewy. And then start poking around your house or your car um, in your home. You might think about testing somewhere where you spend a lot of time, like in an office or somewhere where you're sleeping. And then definitely, you know, in a bathroom, I have a lot of clients in this area who don't have a venting fan in their bathroom. And so mm -hmm. if they're showering, you know, mold just is readily going to grow. And they'll oftentimes tell me, oh, yeah, when I look up at the ceiling, I see some light brown spots or some, you know, light black or, you know, greenish spots on the ceiling. And I definitely get mold in my grout and in the um, sealant around the tub. And, and then I'll also encourage them to poke their head underneath the bathroom sink and the kitchen sink. And if they smell anything mildewy or see any dripping, I mean, we definitely want to be testing those areas. So for $33, you can order these plates and all you do is open them up. They're sealed take the lid off and leave them sitting out for about an hour, put the lid back on and seal them with tape. And then you stick them in kind of a dark place, like a cupboard for about three to five days. And then you pull them out and look at them. And if you start seeing, wow, there's, there's a lot growing there. There's a, a lot of numbers. There's a lot of colors. There's a lot going on. Mm -hmm. Then you go ahead and send them into the lab and have them analyzed. And there is a check mark on the paperwork with immunolytics that you can ask to have um, the lab call you and go over your results with you. And they're wonderful there. I mean, my clients love talking to the lab people at immunolytics. And so it's a really good way to just get a basic assessment. Um, I'm going to tell you and your listeners a trick about this company. And that is if you call their phone number and you tell them that you would only like to order the Petri dishes by themselves, they charge, I think it's about $2.95. So it's like three bucks to order these plates. And you just order the plates and pay shipping. And then they come and, you know, you can get 10 of them if you want, you know, for 30 bucks plus shipping, that's very reasonable. Mm -hmm. And then you put them out and then you only send in the ones that happen to be growing something if they're growing something for analysis. Um, and then the mm -hmm. company will even suggest that, you know, if you're putting these plates out and, you know, maybe you put, let's say six out and four of them are growing something, but they're maybe growing like one or two little spots on them after three to five days, that would indicate that you likely don't have a significant mold problem in your house. But if you're looking at that plate and it's like covered or there's multiple varieties and multiple numbers, then you definitely want to send it in. And so it's a little trick I've learned with cost saving to just order the plates, see what grows send in the ones that are growing something for analysis, and then you only get charged for those plates. Um, so that's a, a great way to start testing your home. If things come back positive, then you really need to work with an expert um, mold remediation specialist. I mean, someone who can come in and do an assessment of your living space and then give you some ideas about what you need to do. And lately we are discouraging people from hiring someone who does both the testing and assessment of your home and the remediation, because we're just suspect that, that some of those mm -hmm. people are, you know, they want to find things because they want to do remediation and it's big bucks and big income for them. So right. you almost want to separate those two out, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that, that's how we recommend getting started testing yourself, um, your home. Um, 
and if some of your listeners are interested from the conferences I've attended, I have started compiling a list of very reputable mold inspection and remediation companies in the U.S., and they tend to, um, some of them are doing like video-based appointments. I'm not sure how that's working, but they're doing it in mm -hmm. COVID times. And they're, they're very reputable. And I bring that up because not every mold testing or mold remediation company is the same. Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of them that haven't been trained in the, the brand new current information. So I, I do have a compiled list. And if it's something that you want me to share with you to share with your listeners, I would be happy to do that. Yeah, I'll put the immunolytic, immunolytics link uh, with the, uh, the transcript and the show notes and uh, that a document like that that you suggested. Yeah. So what about air filters, is that going to help at all? Like uh, getting a good quality air filter in your house, in your bedroom, having that running all the time, or is that not going to make much of a difference? You know, if you have these mold spores and the mycotoxins, um, it can help a little and it can, it might be helpful for that 75%, but for the 25%, um, it's, it's not going to make a big difference. I mean, until you find the source and get the source cleaned up and out of the space, um, it doesn't do a lot. Um, mm -hmm. so it's, it's pretty problematic when there's a mold issue for the people that are in that 25%. Um, okay. So I'm going to, oh, can I just, I'm going to add to that, that, sure. I mean, once you've found mold and you've remediated and you're trying to really, you know, have good quality air, I, you know, I've heard, have you heard this, Nick, that it's you, you can, um, you need that the, the rule of threes, um, I'm trying to gather my thoughts around this. So the rule of threes in that you die, if you don't have oxygen within three minutes, um, you, you can go three minutes without oxygen. You can go three days without water and you can go, um, 30 days without food. And so that idea of making sure that the air that you're breathing is good is a really big deal. <laughs> um, yeah. And so, yes, you want to have a really good filter. Um, at the mold conferences, they were recommending um, a MERV 13 or higher. So that's that's just a good number to have everyone kind of tuck in their mind that you want to be looking for a good quality air filter and you want to change it regularly. And some people do feel better. Um, I run an, an Air Oasis air cleaner in my office. I it puts out a little bit of ozone, which bothers me. So I run it at night and then during the day I move it to my bedroom. So I'm always cleaning the air in my environment now, because once you have a sensitivity to something like mycotoxins, it's very common that you also have other multiple chemical sensitivities. And I find that's true for me. I have a real hard time as a lot of my clients, you know, walking down the cleaning aisle of the grocery store, just the smells, um, or if I have someone walk by me that even if I'm out at the park on a, a walk and right now we're trying to social distance with COVID, but if I have someone walk by that's got real strong um, perfume on or, you know, body care products, I mean, it just, it makes me dizzy. It makes my head spin. And, and so I am focusing on keeping the air in the environment that I work and live in. 
you know, a little cleaner than it, it probably needs to be, but I think it's been something important in my health journey. And I have a lot of clients who do the same thing. They make sure the air filter is good. They change it regularly, and then they might consider investing in a good quality air cleaner. And there are some, some really good air filters. Mm-hmm. And for the HVAC, you know, most of those just have about, it's usually about 20 by 16, somewhere around their size filter. Mm-hmm. Um, is there anything else you can do there other than just changing it regularly? You know, we ended up, um, getting a device installed on our furnace. That's an ionizer. And hmm. so it's part of the intake of our HVAC system that as the air is coming into the system, essentially it gets ionized. The ionizer kills volatile organic compounds. You know, and we've done a, a, we did a really good job of cleaning up this home, but the fact of the matter is there's, there's some things that mycotoxins can stick in (laughs) that are really hard to clean. (laughs) So we just wanted that added assurance. I I don't have a lot of clients who go to that extreme, um, but it's something that we did here. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned urinary mycotoxin testing. Mm -hmm. Are there any uh, particular labs that you recommend? Yeah. So that's a great, you know, next conversation piece. So we kind of talked about if you suspect something's going on in your home, what do you do? Well, oftentimes that's usually the second step with my clients. Usually the first step is that someone has been chronically ill. They're not feeling well, and they've been to multiple doctors. They've ruled out everything. Um, And oftentimes their general lab data, like a CBC, complete blood count and a comprehensive metabolic panel and general blood work usually looks pretty good. And so the doctor's telling them that, you know, no one can have all these symptoms and and we can talk about symptoms in a minute. Um, But, you know, no one can be this sick. This is in your head. You need to, you need an antidepressant. Um, And that's usually I end up getting clients that are just like, I can barely go to work. I can barely function. The doctor's just telling me I have depression and I, need therapy and I need an antidepressant and, and they're saying, I know something's wrong with me. And so we usually will start, um, by a screening process. And so a lot of the information we have about biotoxin illness comes from, um, have you heard of him, Richie Shoemaker, Nick? Yes. Yeah. So he's, he's pretty famous in the Lyme world and biotoxin illness. And he really, kind of did some groundbreaking work about 20 years ago with a big group of doctors, um, And I think he's been amazing for people with chronic illness and chronic inflammatory response syndrome. What I'm finding is that a lot of these doctors now that are experts in this field started working with Richie Shoemaker, and then they tended to, for various reasons, it sounds like there was a lot of personality issues. They all tend to tend to break off and they're doing their own thing now. Um, Mm -hmm. But that foundational work from Richie Shoemaker Um, there's some aspects of it that people still use. And one of them is a biotoxin survey. And I would be happy to share this with you too. It's, it's not mine. It's Richie Shoemakers. And a lot of these Lyme doctors will just run a basic biotoxin illness survey. And what it is, is 13 bullet points. And next to the bullet points are these random symptoms. And you have people look at that. And if they are positive for symptoms in eight or more of these bullet points, then that's a big indicator that, okay, someone likely has this chronic inflammatory response going on. Then the next step, if if people are positive for that, 
Um, you know, we like to start basic um, because mold illness can be very costly. And I don't want to start urine testing someone unless I feel like I have a really good reason to do it. So I am doing a really good history. I'm asking them about possible mold exposures, even tick bites, because they, they can be kind of related. Um, we'll do that um, biotoxin illness survey from Richie Shoemaker. If that's positive, then I will have my clients do a visual contrast sensitivity test. And this is an online test. It takes about 10 minutes. It costs $10, so it's pretty cheap. And it's a test that was developed by the U.S. military about 40 years ago, and it's still used with um, the Air Force. So it's a validated test. It is not a diagnostic tool. So the biotoxin screen I just told you about is not a diagnostic tool. It's an assessment. And then the visual contrast sensitivity test, again, is not diagnostic, but it's a general assessment. And it's looking at the cones in the back of the eye. And the cones can be heavily influenced by um, inflammatory cytokines. Um, and you probably would be better at explaining inflammatory cytokines <laughs> to your listeners than I would, but um, there's this cytokine storm that happens um, that it's, it's really this inflammatory response that even affects the body profoundly at the cellular level and at the capillary level. And so think about the tiny capillaries that are feeding the back of the eye to provide oxygen and nutrients there. And if there's all this inflammation going on there, it really affects the cones in the back of the eye that determine our ability to see gray, white, and black. So it's a, a, you know checking the ability of your eyes to be able to see this contrast it takes about 10 minutes to set up your computer, you pay $10, and it assesses for essentially biotoxin illness um, and this cytokine damage going on in the back of the eye. And so then I'll have my clients run that test. And if they're positive for both those things, and then maybe they know they've had a mold exposure, then I'll move forward and move on to the testing. And there was a lot of the testing was has been presented in these recent conferences and and to validate the information I received at the conferences I did attend it's called ICI conference um, that's an organization that's I S E A I so it's the International Society of Environmentally Acquired Illnesses and it's the best doctors in the world and a lot of them started with Richie Shoemaker and they've broken off and now they just have a real heart and passion for helping people who are chronically sick and so they're leading the way for all of us and they say it's very controversial there's one doctor his name is Dr. Andrew Campbell who is offering a blood test for um, IgG antibodies to mycotoxins and mold. Um, it's very controversial. And most of the doctors that I've been affiliated with and learning from do not agree with it at all. So that really leaves us with the only other way to really test the human body is through urine. Um, mm -hmm. And we know that mold mycotoxins can make metabolites that we can measure in urine. And we can also actually measure these mycotoxins in urine. So I'm gonna talk about three tests. Um, the first one is really interesting and came up a lot recently in conferences is running a urine organic acid test and especially the one from Great Plains Labs mm -hmm. because Great Plains Labs on, on their first page, they, they test for 76 different analytes on that test that they're looking at in urine. 
And on the first page, the first nine markers have to do with fungal growth, but that tested. So it tests for candida and things that, you know, are calm, you know, I think we think about a lot, but it also is testing for the possibility of mold colonization in the body. And this sounds a little gross, but think about the sinus cavity as being warm and moist. Um, mm -hmm. And even the gastrointestinal tract. So hollow spaces, the lungs, the sinuses, the gastrointestinal tract, so we're finding that if mold spores are ingested, we're getting especially colonization of the GI tract. So the organic acid test from Great Plains Labs will test for mold colonization in the gut. So some people, their mold exposure is actually coming from mold that's growing in their body. Mm -hmm. And if we can identify that and take care of it, then, then that's really helpful information. So on a lot of my clients, I like to run that organic acid test in combination with another test Great Plains Labs offers, and is their urine mycotoxin test. So there's really, there's two good urine tests right now. One of them is um, by Great Plains Labs, and they're using liquid chromatography mass spectrometry. The other company is Realtime Labs. Um, or um, actually there's a third company that's a little bit newer on the playing field and it's Vibrant Health, Vibrant Wellness. Both, um, let's see, real-time and Vibrant Health are using ELISA testing through the urine. So they're doing different types of testing. And the, the best mold experts out there are saying that both companies test, they test different things and they test in a different way. And if someone really wants good information, they really need to run both tests and that gets mm -hmm. costly. Um, you know, real-time labs, um, somehow they got approval through Medicare. So if you have a doctor ordering the test, so it has to be a medical doctor ordering and if they know how to code it right and real-time labs helps doctors with this, you can get that test 100% covered. Um, mm -hmm. Otherwise, they're working on their pricing. It was $699 for that test that tests for five mycotoxins. And they've been able to pull the price point down under $400 now. And they're being very competitive with Great Plains Labs. And their test is about $350 for that test. Um, so experts, and I'm going to mention a name here, um, Dr. Neil Nathan. Mm -hmm. He actually wrote a great book. It's called Toxic heal your body. And I re recommend all my clients read it who have mold toxicity and or Lyme disease. It's a phenomenal book, but his preference is that both tests are run. Then we get the most, most data from them. Um, and then Vibrant Health, um, um, I'm not sure what to think about their test. Um, Neil Nathan recently said he's kind of sitting on it. He's not sure um, how valuable he thinks their information is. So he's giving it a little time. And yet I know some other big doctors in the mold arena. One of them is Dr. Jill Carnahan from, she's a Institute of Functional Medicine trained doctor. She has started doing the vibrant health testing. I have a couple of clients who see her and they've shared their vibrant health test results with me. And they're much more comprehensive, but it's it's a bit controversial. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> um, mm -hmm. at this point, I feel very comfortable having my clients run Great Plains Labs. And I'll tell you the reason why, Nick, is that Great Plains is testing for 11 mycotoxins. Um, Real-time labs is testing for five, but they're both testing mm -hmm. for different things. And it's rare that I find that I have a client who can afford both. So 
to give you an idea about this, real-time labs is measuring um, the mycotoxin called ochratoxin A and trichothecenes and aflatoxin, a whole group of them, and gliotoxin and um, chataglobosin. And gliotoxin and chataglobosin are from black mold. They're horribly toxic. And so it would be really good to know that information. When we're looking at Great Plains Labs, they're testing from xerolenin, um, some aflatoxin and ochratoxin, and then one called stergiometoxin. Uh, some of them are hard for me to say. So um, mm -hmm. I'm yeah. gonna, yeah, um, stergio, are tough. right? I know. <laughs> so my tongue gets wrapped around them a little bit, but it's, um, I'm gonna try it again stergiometocystin and then Reardon E, Baricarin A, Anishin B, gliotoxin, mycophenolic acid. And mycophenolic acid is a very interesting one, Nick, because it very, very dramatically suppresses the immune system. Mm -hmm. um, and it's actually made into a drug. So people who have organ transplants actually receive mycophenolic acid in a prescription drug form to help with organ rejection. Um, but then um, the other two, so 11 total from Great Plains Labs, the chataglobosin and then citrinin. So if my clients are really limited in funds, I just go right to Great Plains Labs because at least we get um, the opportunity to look at 11 mycotoxins. It could be down the road that I decide, you know, that the vibrant America that's testing even more, I might end up going that route if, if we're feeling really confident about the data that they're providing. Um, mm -hmm. but I, I agree with Neil Nathan, if it's possible, I want my clients running both real time and great plains labs, but it's rare that it happens. I really want my clients running an organic acid test and the urine mycotoxin test. Um, so we mm -hmm. know if they've been colonized by mold, and then we also know if they also have mycotoxins present. Um, Neil Nathan also advises that you provoke before these tests to get most accurate data. You know, when the body has a big toxic burden, it tends to take those toxins and tuck them in and hide them in safe places. And an example is fat cells, you know, are a safe place to stick these toxic substances in the body. And so we want to encourage the body to start releasing some of those stores so we get a better idea of body burden. So Neil Nathan recommends taking 400 to 500 milligrams of glutathione, AM and PM, for six days, and then on day seven, doing the urine collection. He also recommends avoiding any binders at least three to five days before the collection because the binders can be binding the toxins and then you don't get a good idea of you know, what the body burden is. Um, and he'll also add a tip that it's helpful to have some sort of um, heat exposure. So sauna, it could be dry or steam or IR or even a hot bath. So having some sort of heat exposure the night before you collect, um, you can really mobilize these toxins and get a better idea. Um, I wanna be cautious about that because I have a lot of people I work with that are highly sensitive to that load of, that's a lot of glutathione. Mm -hmm. And I have a lot of clients who um, just because they have biotoxin illness, they're highly, highly sensitive and they can't tolerate any glutathione. Um, they might start and I might have them even, you know, start a couple of days ahead and maybe try, you know, using some liposomal glutathione, such as from Quicksilver Labs, it's a pump bottle. 
And, you know, they can just start with one pump and see how they feel. And if they just feel awful, then Neil Nathan's recommendation is that you have them stop the glutathione and just go ahead and collect their urine and kind of skip that provocation. Mm -hmm. Interesting. So you mentioned mold growing in particular body cavities like the uh, sinuses, lungs, guts. I just want to mention as an aside for anyone listening with autoimmunity, any kind of growth like that of a microbe in those cavities is going to drive interleukin 17, which is going to drive Th17 cells. And those are the cells that drive autoimmunity. And on top of that, when you drive Th17, you're going to inhibit the Th1 system of the body, which is there to fight off infections like viruses and bacteria. So you'll be more prone to activation of viruses like Epstein-Barr, herpes 6, and things like that. And then at the same time, when those two are activated, you'll drive Th2, which is going to drive allergies and asthma. And you mentioned earlier in your story, you know, you just developed asthma, uh, which you had never had before. And then, and then when you were gone, it went away. So that's just as, as an aside, some things to think about if, so, if you're dealing with chronic infection other than mold, or if you have autoimmunity. You know, and I really appreciate you tying that in and and I love the knowledge that you have about the immune system <laughs> and because, um, you know, you're speaking to that a lot better than I could ever speak to that. Um, and you're right. When we look at overall health effects from mold, we certainly, um, you know, mold is a potent activator of mast cells. And so we will see people that have pretty significant and severe allergies and even asthma. And we will see um, activation. Um, you know, I've, I've heard in the science or read in the scientific literature that it's estimated that about 80% of us are walking around with um, low level Epstein-Barr that we were exposed as kids and we're walking around with it and our immune system typically will keep it in check. But when something like this happens with mold um, and the immune system is suppressed, then we can see the immune system's not looking out for us anymore. And we will see, um, someone with chronic reactivated Epstein-Barr virus, cytomegalovirus, um, we'll see them having, you know, more frequent um, viral herpes outbreaks. Um, and so we'll, we'll see people just all over, they just feel awful. We also think that this is that tie-in um, to Lyme disease. Um, it's suspected, mm. and this came out in the ICI conference, it's suspected that about 50% of us are walking around with some sort of insect-borne illness. Um, mm. And that our immune system, if it's healthy, just keeps it in check and it's no big deal. But when you go through something like mold toxicity, um, or even, I think you well know this, Nick, too, that even, you know, highly stressful events um, can mm. suppress the immune system. So it's not just mold, but, you know, you can get an activation of these tick-borne illnesses, and it could be classic Lyme, Borrelia, Burgdorferi, or it could be one of the co-infections. There's many of them. But we can see someone who all of a sudden is testing positive for Lyme disease. And they might be saying something that, well, I, I remember a tick bite when I was six, or I don't even ever remember being bit by a tick. But we know that 
other things like fleas, ticks, mites, um, other bugs carry tick-borne illnesses. So we think a lot of us have the possibility of having these microorganisms in us that when the immune system is suppressed, then we see this activation. So mm -hmm. I often am seeing my clients that have biotoxin illness in the form of mold, and then they're also testing positive for Lyme. What I find really interesting is that it's, and this really speaks to the work that Neil Nathan has done, is that addressing the mold is a big deal. And if we can address the mold and support the immune system, oftentimes the immune system can come in and help the body go back to suppressing these viral type infections or tick-borne bacteria. And we don't necessarily have to go into these big treatment protocols, you know, for all of these other types of infections in the body. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Homo sapiens. I mean, we are really walking bags of microorganisms, and mm -hmm. but we pile on top of that usually significant trauma uh, history going back to childhood into adulthood, major major stress. Uh, environmental toxins, uh, poor diets. I mean, you just keep piling things on top of it. And, and then certain people will just break down and the immune system just can't keep up with, uh, with a lifetime of accumulation. So what about other, other diseases? I mean, I mentioned autoimmunity and, and then, you know, you mentioned asthma and some other things, but are there any other conditions that really stand out to you that someone might be thinking they have mold? Um, absolutely. So, so certainly the viral load, like we talked about, and then if someone has mast cell activation disorder or just really horrible allergies, um, if they have a lot of methylation dysfunction, and I know that that's kind of a broad category um, that might affect, you know, their ability to make SAMI, that's the major methyl donor in the body. And there's a lot of repercussions from that. Um, cancer, some of these mycotoxins um, actually are carcinogenic in the body. So we suspect it there. Um, reactivation of, you know, viral, bacterial, parasitic type infections. Um, we'll see limbic system dysfunction, vagal nerve dysfunction. So people who are predisposed to like chronic SIBO, chronic gastrointestinal problems, maybe they've had multiple courses of SIBO protocols and it could be prescription antibiotics, you know, the rifaximin and Zyfaxin, and they've maybe done some herbal protocols and it's just like, it's refractory. It keeps coming back and they just can't seem to get their gut sorted out. Um, we really think a lot of this is happening because of the ability of, you know, mycotoxins, tick-borne illnesses, um, and even, even we're thinking COVID-19 um, in those long haulers um, initiates the cell danger response. Um, and, and you, again, probably can speak more to cell danger response than I can, but really it means that at the cellular level, the human body is fearful, like in fight or flight mode, thinking that there is something terrible going on and we have to be in this protection mode all the time. And we're mm -hmm. finding that even that people who get their home remediated and they, um, you know, get, get their body, you know, get support for detoxification and essentially they shouldn't have symptoms anymore. will still have symptoms and that we have to work on some sort of brain retraining. There are a couple of programs, um, 
you know, that um, Neil Nathan recommends DNRS, it's the Annie Hopper program, dynamic neural retraining system. And then um, I think it's Ashap Gupta, he has the Gupta program, which is a different neural retraining program. They're a bit expensive and they don't necessarily resonate with all my clients. Um, some, some really don't like the Annie Hopper program because it's um, standing in these circles and, and she wants you doing these activities and reciting things for a couple of hours every day. And I just have a lot mm -hmm. of clients who are like, I don't have that kind of time. I don't want to pay for the program. And I feel goofy, you know, putting these circles on the floor and <laughs> stepping into them. And, and so the, the Ashap Gupta, the Gupta program is more based on, um, it, it resonates more with me. I'm a yoga teacher and, and he really works more um, from a meditation standpoint. Um, I still have people that just can't afford them, but they need that neural retraining. They've got to help their brain learn from that, that deep reptilian amygdala, like, you know, danger response that everything's okay. And I'm okay. And I'm in a safe environment and you need to calm down. You need to stop making these cytokines. And mm -hmm. so there's even a basic book, it's called neurosculpting. I don't remember the author, but it's on Amazon. And a lot of my clients will just get that book and they'll read the book on kind of retraining their brain to help their body realize that they're safe. Um, I was wondering too. Um, oh, go ahead. You were going to say that, that was, is it neuro sculpting or neural scope sculpting? I think it's neuro neuro sculpting. Neuro sculpting. Okay. Yeah. I'll, I'll, look, it I'll up. look that up and link to it. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a, a really, it's a great book. Um, but I was wondering if, um, it would be helpful for your listeners to hear the, the myriad of symptoms that can be associated with yes, biotoxin definitely. illness. Okay. Um, so you have to tuck in here. It's quite a list. <laughs> so, this, this way they can go on Google and, uh, be <laughs> extremely afraid after, after Dr. Google tells them what's wrong. Well, and, and we all joke, you know, that you go on Google, Dr. Google, and, and yeah. in the end, everything leads to cancer, right? So, right, right. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so I think it's good to know. And, and I like that biotoxin um, survey. It's really helpful, but I will read this list to you. Um, so fatigue and weakness, muscle aches, cramps, unusual pain. And this is very specific. You'll hear people talk about ice pick pain or lightning bolt pain, or they'll even refer to it as electric shocks. And I did, I had electric shocks. It was weird. They were running up and down my legs. And we think that happens from electrolyte imbalances caused by biotoxin illness, mm -hmm. um, head, headache, sensitivity to bright light, um, eyes tearing and blurred vision. Um, people will talk about tunnel vision as well. And chronic sinus congestion or propensity to having chronic sinus infections that just can't clear up. We'll see a cough, chest pain, shortness of breath. We'll see people complaining about abdominal pain and chronic ir irritable bowel syndrome. Um, we'll see diarrhea, joint pain, tendinitis, um, morning stiffness, people just waking up and they just like, oh, I can't move my body, getting out of bed. And we'll see a lot of different cognitive impairments, specifically difficult, you know, difficulties with recent memory, hard time assimilating new information, 
trouble word finding, um, you know, used to be able to calculate a tip and handle numbers and you're like, what's wrong with me? Um, confusion, sustaining concentration, disorientation, and people will say I have brain fog and I, I can't figure it out. They'll have, be very sensitive to light touch possibly. And not all these symptoms fit everybody, Nick, but um, you know, the effect that these cytokines have on everyone's system um, makes this very individual. But oftentimes we'll have people that have like half of these symptoms or at least a third of them. But we'll also see mood swings, appetite swings, um, sweats, night sweats, difficulty with temperature regulation. And, you know, this is someone who, you know, the, the classic doctor or even a good functional medicine provider like you, you would have done a good thyroid workup on them. And even though you're optimizing their thyroid, you're, they're not coming around. Mm -hmm. They'll see numbness, tingling, um, and, and random, like they can't even put a finger on it. They'll feel vertigo, have a metallic taste in the mouth. They oftentimes have excessive thirst and frequent urination. These will be clients that you know, I'll, I used to see them in my office and they would come in with a big jug of water and they were just sipping water the whole time. Like they couldn't quench their thirst. And then they were running, you know, in an hour appointment, they were running to the bathroom three times. And so almost like fluid goes straight through them. And it's because of the effect that mycotoxins have on the pituitary gland and affecting antidiuretic hormone is, is really low and not working well. Um, and then we'll see sensitivity to static shocks. So um, people who touch a doorknob or light switches or car handles, or, you know, someone kisses someone and gets a little shock, they're highly sensitive to that. Um, we're seeing impotence, low libido, um, menagerie, which is um, really dysregulated and very heavy menstrual cycles. Um, you know, undiagnosable nausea and vomiting. And then, you know, so those are big symptoms and that's quite a list. I mean, what do you think about it, Nick? Oh, yeah. I mean, it makes sense immunologically, all those symptoms mm -hmm. and how it's going to affect the, you mentioned the limbic system earlier and then the hypothalamus, pituitary. Yeah, that, that all makes sense. Yeah. So um, Neil Nathan has spoken to this fact too, that mold toxicity, um, is often missed and misdiagnosed. So he says to, you know, just really have it on your radar that if you're ever seeing a client or a patient and they're telling you they have fibromyalgia, you need mm -hmm. to, you need to be thinking about mold. And he also talked about someone coming in who's diagnosed with chronic fatigue syndrome or anything that's atypical. And I've had this happen. I had a client come to see me who she was diagnosed with atypical MS and we've discovered it was mold. So atypical MS, rheumatoid arthritis, Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, um, and also straight up Alzheimer's and Parkinson's. Um, we've had some dramatic stories of people fully healing from, you know, a serious form of dementia like Alzheimer's or Parkinson's disease because they had mold toxicity. Um, and it's not, a, I don't want to give people false hope. You know, those are complex illnesses. And oftentimes mm -hmm. when I work with clients in that er area of dementia, oftentimes they have multiple things going on and that we can get them some degree better by discovering something like biotoxin illness. Um, anytime you hear about someone having asthma, chronic sinusitis, um, and then even 
um, psychiatric issues like anxiety, depression. Um, People will talk about depersonalization, like they have no sense of self anymore. They have cognitive impairment, mood swings, obsessive compulsive disorder. Um, Those are all things that when you hear that, you need to be thinking, wow, have I asked this person about mold exposure, or maybe I need to do that biotoxin survey and have them do the visual contrast sensitivity test. Um, Those are big flags. Mm -hmm. Excellent. And you you, uh, have a case study that uh, you wanted to talk about. Why don't we get into that? That'd be, that'd be great. Um, this is a recent client. Um, I thought your listeners might find this interesting to just kind of see what this might look like in a real life scenario. Um, this is a man that I recently started working with. Um, we're, we're just going on like the two month mark. He's 51 years old. He lives in the Pacific Northwest. So there's a lot of rain there and he lives in an older home and they have done a lot of work to remodel the home. Um, you know, and, and they love it. They've, they've lived in the home for a while, but some background information on him is that he has been seeing multiple providers over the last three years for horrible restless leg syndrome. And he's seen some really good providers. I mean, these are really savvy and doctors, naturopathic doctors. Um, and they have done all the, all the basic stuff you would think of with RLS. I mean, they've had him try low dose naltrexone. They've got, you know, he's on a, did a real good elimination diet. They fixed his gut. They discovered he had a parasite. Um, So very thorough workup. And this man is um, in the last three years sleeping about four hours a night. He is so exhausted. Um, He's working from home and really the the lack of sleep and the RLS are his predominant symptoms along with having arrhythmias. And he's even had some surgical procedures done. Um, He's had ablation done to his heart because of these arrhythmias, which that, that can be a symptom of mold illness as well. You know, and then looking at his lab data, he also, this is something that I'm seeing in people that have real severe mold illness to black mold. He is very anemic, but his ferritin level is through the roof. Um, you know, and we know that ferritin is an acute phase reactant. So if there's some sort of infection or high level of inflammation going on in the body, we'll see ferritin elevated. Um, with him, it's in the presence of um, very low iron and very anemic. Um, but really for the most part, I mean, his platelets are low and for the most part, the rest of his labs actually look okay. Um, multiple doctors, multiple workups. And then something else I found so interesting about him is that he is married and his wife's health is pretty good. He has two daughters. One of the daughters is diagnosed with celiac disease and the other daughter has been diagnosed with Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. Um, mm-hmm. And if your listeners don't know what that is, it's a, they're, um, a lot of joint lax- laxity and very hyper-flexible, hyper-bendy um, And so, and that actually, I didn't mention it before too, but Ehlers-Danlos is associated with mold illness. So when I first started working with this man, um, right away, we did the the symptoms cluster analysis, that biotoxin screen I told you about, and he was positive for 10 out of the 13 symptoms. Mm. So we went ahead and, I mean, I'll, I'll read his specific symptoms. He has fatigue problem, finding words, weakness, achiness, 
difficulty with new knowledge assimilation, concentration problems, joint pain, morning stiffness. Um, he's got tingling and in his skin um, and heightened sensitivity overall to everything, to smells, to light, to noise. He's got sinus congestion and chronic nasal drainage. His body temperature, very dysregulated. Once he gets cold, he can't warm up. And he's got diarrhea and loose stools and experiences excessive sweating and mood swings. So all this is going on, you know, and he's trying to be functional and support his family. Then um, to me, it really um, was a red flag hearing about his other family members also not doing well, except his wife's doing fine. You know, so these two daughters that are related to him, um, especially the one with Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. So he went on and did the visual contrast sensitivity test, and he ended up being positive for biotoxin illness um, and nutrient deficiencies on that related to his vision. And so we just, um, just yesterday, I mean, the timing is good here. Just yesterday, I got back his organic acid test and his mold test results. And the mold test results um, are, I'm, I'm, I haven't actually contacted him yet. So I'm going to be calling him later today, but he has got two potent black molds in his system, the mycotoxins from these molds. Um, and one, I just am like, oh, breathing a sigh of relief for this man because he's ready to have to go on disability. I mean, he really can't function anymore mm -hmm. and is just so depressed and so desperate. So I'm really looking forward to contacting him today. And the next step is that we're going to, um, I'll have him reach out to Immunolytics and we're going to start with testing his home. And I'm also going to help support, get him started on a detox protocol which is going to be really challenging because he's so sensitive to everything. His diet is incredibly limited, multiple food sensitivities, multiple allergies to foods, medications. And so what really might have to happen, the ideal scenario for this man is that he and his family should probably leave their home. And even if that means that they find a, an Airbnb that you know they feel is pretty safe and they at least get out of this environment for maybe two or three weeks just to see how they all feel, that would probably be an important next step while they're also doing the immunolytics testing to see you know what's going on in the home. Um, and then we'll move forward from there. But he actually might have to get out of that environment before we can really start working on a detox protocol for him. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Well, that's, that's great. And he finally has some answers, which I'm sure is uh, just going to help him psychologically, because you know, these people have been told, you know, by so many that, that either there's nothing wrong with them, or it's, you know, just something psychological. Mm -hmm. So are there any other areas you'd like to cover any final parting thoughts? You know, I, I want to give people a message of hope and I, I feel I have the empathy because I've been through this and I understand that mold toxicity is a, a tough one because it opens the door to, you know, you've got to support your body's ability to, to heal and detoxify. And we have good strategies for that. We have really good information now about how to upregulate liver detoxification and stimulate the gallbladder. And, you know, we get rid of these toxins primarily through the liver, dumping them into the small intestine where we can bind them. 
Um, and we also know that sweating, we actually have studies now where we're measuring um, how much say ochratoxin A, that's a mycotoxin, how much of that is in sweat. So we know how to open up detox pathways. Um, and we also are learning now um, how to help people in a more economically way, identify possible mold problems in their living environment or their car, like we said. And I want to give people a measure, uh, uh, you know, uh, a sense of hope. Um, and mm -hmm. I hope my story is one of a sense of hope. And while I'm going to say that I'm 80% back, um, I still have a, a little ways to go, but at least I'm, you know, back at work full time doing what I love from with my job and, you know, very much engaged in my life again. And I really, um, it's interesting, and I've had a lot of clients explain this to me too, and I definitely experienced this, that when I was so down and out and I didn't know what was going on, I would just have these profound moments where I felt like I was dying and I, it was beyond tears. I mean, it was so deep, like within my soul mm -hmm. and I've never felt anything like that. I'm an incredibly optimistic and upbeat person. I mean, I'm always, you know, turn the lemons into lemonade and I have never experienced anything like that. And I want to give people hope who might be experiencing something like that, that there could be this underlying cause and there could be um, a chance to, to fix it. Um, it can be costly. And, you know, I, I got a little frustrated at the conferences I attended because a lot of providers were asking these experts, what do you do when someone can't afford to have their home remediated or can't afford to move? And they didn't have a lot of good answers for that. And it's almost like mm -hmm. mold illnesses for people who have resources, right? Right. Because um, there's not a lot of support. Um, you know, the, the government doesn't recognize this as being a big problem. And so mm -hmm. oftentimes it's people, you know, finding the right provider who can guide their process and, um, and I do have a lot of people who do their own remediation, but there's some people too mm -hmm. sick to do that. Um, but in, in the end, I, I guess I'm kind of like, you know, talking about some negative things again, but um, in the end, there are a lot of possibilities for improving health and getting to the bottom of situations. And I've had clients do really crazy things. Like I had a client that was in a terrible apartment and their landlord was not helpful and they had to get out of it. And so they were able to live on a houseboat, you know, oh, yeah. she and her husband, and, and it was, you know, not well sealed and it was really cold, but it had a lot of fresh air in it. And they felt a lot better in the houseboat until they could find a better living situation. And I worked with another woman who was very sick and she, um, her, her husband didn't understand. And I, I get this a lot because there will be one person in the family who's really sick and the other people in the family aren't, especially if it's a partner. And in this case, it was the husband. And he was saying things like, what's wrong with you? you know, I'm, I'm fine. You know, why are you so sick? Well, you know, there's something always wrong with you and, you know, and not necessarily meaning to be hurtful, but it was really hurtful. And this woman felt mm -hmm. terrible and she did a lot of reading and studying and she really felt like there was a mold problem. And then she got myco, she did mycotoxin testing and she was really high. Um, but the husband just like, was really planning this feat saying, this isn't a problem. No one else is sick. You know, this can't be a real issue. And she ended up sleeping in a tent in her backyard and she felt so much better doing it. Um, eventually her husband came around and they tested the house, found a lot of mold. And one of their kids was a little sick too. And, you know, the kid had, you know, chronic asthma and 
the kid got better. And, and so there's, there's this dynamic around all this too, around per interpersonal interactions and emotions. And then when someone doesn't feel well, how do they fight for themselves? So um, I really like empowering people and helping people see that, like, I can't wait to talk to this client of mine and just say, gosh, I think we have a solution or mm -hmm. I, I think we know what's going on with you. And I have a lot of people who are in tears and they cry because finally there's an answer. Mm -hmm. um, but then moving forward with what do we do to find the source, do the remediation, help the body detoxify. It can be a journey. Um, I, if clients have significant mold toxicity, um, they can be on a mold detox protocol for probably a minimum of six months and up to 18 months. And it all depends on how they tolerate it as well. Right. Yeah. It's a long road, no matter who it is. Well, this has been fantastic. Tracy, how would you like people to find you online? You know, the, the best place is my website. Um, my business is called bigpicturehealth.com or that's it's big picture health. So my website is bigpicturehealth.com. So mm -hmm. that's a great way to look me up. Great. Yeah. We'll post that in the transcript as well. Well, thanks for tuning in everyone. Uh, this is Dr. Hedberg. Go to drhedberg.com and search for mold illness and you'll find a full transcript of this interview with all of the links and resources that we mentioned. So take care everyone and we will talk to you soon. Thanks so much, Nick. All right. Take care, Tracy. If you enjoy the Dr. Hedberg Show, you can support it by sharing each episode on your social media channels, like Facebook, and by leaving a review on iTunes. Please visit drhedberg.com. That's D-R-H-E-D-B-E-R-G.com to access the show notes and resources for today's episode.